to uh, Shot Reverse Shot. Um, I'm Joe Gassano, hello. Uh, and joining me as always is Ed Davis. How are you doing, sir? All right? I'm doing very, very well, yes. I'm just uh, relaxing after a nice 4th of July weekend, which obviously uh, you don't get to have in, in England, but you do get the Tour de France. Mm. Well, we, I, we had the 4th of July. Oh, yeah. Um, but we just didn't, there was no fireworks. Oh, so you don't have one of those British-made calendars that just goes from the 3rd to the 5th and just kind of ignores the 4th. Yeah, it skips that, skips 5th of November, <laughs> skips uh, anything else that was kind of uh, not in keeping with what we're up to. Uh, it's nice to start with a gag, uh, because we are talking about some serious shit this weekend, aren't we? Uh, we are talking about whether or not, um, and it's unlike us to be serious, but you know, we thought we'd throw it in there. Uh, we're talking about uh, whether or not you can separate uh, works of art from the artists who made them. Um, why are we doing that, Ed? Uh, well, this is something that I've been interested in for a while, and I think uh, I, I wanted to do this earlier in the year around about the renewed controversy about uh, Woody Allen and the uh, the accusations made about him and, and whether or not he molested his, uh, his uh, well, he's not really his stepdaughter because he was never adopted, but, you know, Mia Farrow's uh, daughter, Dylan Farrow, uh, allegations that have uh, been in, have been known about and have been in the public sphere for for about 20 years at this point, but he was uh, nominated for an Oscar again for Blue Jasmine, and obviously it kind of was, uh, it, it got a lot of attention then, but also uh, in the last couple of weeks, uh, Gary Oldman was interviewed for Playboy, and he said some things which we will discuss in a minute. Uh, Roman Polanski's got a new film out soon, and uh, so basically there's a lot of things currently in the ether that I think make it, uh, worthwhile talking about this now although really it's a discussion that we could have at any time because pretty much everyone who makes art seemingly is awful yeah I mean I've had this discussion before where like I, I mean specifically with music you say you like someone and someone says well I don't like that person they're an arsehole you're just like well if you were listening to music by nice people what would you be listening to like Cliff Richard you know, and I'm pretty sure he's got like an Avon lady buried under his floorboards. That guy is so nice, it's kind of sinister. But m- the point is, is that, like, uh, you know, we, we can't just, we can't consume art based on the personality of the people who made it. But then, in, by the same token, it does seem to stand in the way of uh, people enjoying things. Yeah, I mean, I was listening to, I don't know if you ever listened to the Dead Authors podcast. Uh, which is I have I have listened to it, but uh, probably not the episode you're going to bring yeah, up. Yeah, there was an episode recently with uh, Ben Schwartz, and people who don't know uh, the Dead Authors podcast is a, a podcast for chari- for charity, uh, hosted by Paul F. Tompkins because it's a podcast, and Paul F. Tompkins mm-hmm. is pretty much on every podcast at some point. Uh, Ubiquitous. Yeah, we'll try and get him on here at some point. Uh, yeah, if it means yeah. just having to stalk the streets of LA until I see a man in a nice suit and just start asking him questions. Um, mm. And uh, it, it, basically the conceit is that uh, it's to raise uh, money for a charity called 826LA, which is, uh, you know, helping to, to get books and to, to help young people read. And what he does is he goes on as HG Wells and he interviews uh, dead authors, uh, writers of fiction and great thinkers who are played by fellow comedians. And it's quite a fun podcast and it's 
is often quite informative. And he had an episode recently with uh, Ben Schwartz, who people will know from uh, Parks and Recreation, probably House of Lies, uh, and also Comedy Bang Bang podcast, in which he played Roald Dahl. And uh, mm. one thing that I think uh, a lot of some people know about Roald Dahl, but not a lot of people know, is he was a he was a dreadful anti semite. He was uh, he he said some uh, really horrible things about Jewish people towards the end of his life, and um, he. And, and Ben Schwartz is Jewish, and he's a huge Roald Dahl fan, and he didn't know this. And so in this podcast in which he was just kind of having fun, uh, at one point, Paul F. Tompkins, as H.G. Wells, says to him, you know, you've said a lot of anti-Semitic things, and it's amazing because Ben Schwartz completely breaks character and is is clearly really shook up about the fact that someone who wrote these, these books that really meant a lot to him as a kid uh, could harbour such horrible views. And... Um, and I think there it's it's really interesting because it gets to the heart of the problem, which is that someone can write something that just means a huge amount to you or that you really love, but at the same time can harbour views that you find absolutely abhorrent. And sometimes you can kind of, sometimes you can kind of uh, disconnect them by saying, "Oh, they grew up in a different time," like you know, but, you know, people were always racist in the past. And I think there you can kind of justify it in your mind that these people are. They, they grew up in a different time and held views that they weren't able to kind of come around on. But, mm. you know, certainly for people who are still alive and still working, uh, it's really hard to kind of do that if people hold views or if people have done things that you find to be sort of morally repugnant. And I think it, it as much as you want to kind of in your mind say, I still really respect the art, it can be difficult to kind of then justify supporting the art of someone whose views you don't support. Hmm. Uh, it's. I'm going to kind of say that I haven't read any Roald Dahl since kind of made my my early teens, um, and as well, I enjoyed the man's work, but I wouldn't say that his anti-Semitism came through his work. Um, whereas someone like, let's just take for example, H.P. Lovecraft, mm. you're not really left in any doubt how Mr. Lovecraft feels about ethnic minorities um, from reading his work, but. The Roald Dahl thing, I mean, obviously Mr. Schwartz has, has, has enjoyed Roald Dahl's books for years and it's only being told this afterwards that, like, it's, an, it's a thing. Like, it, is it a bigger thing if it's really apparent through the work um, uh, that that's what they believe in? So, like, for, for instance, like John Wayne, the films of John Wayne, you can watch any three John Wayne films and know what his political stance is. Um, but for instance, I, I love High Noon as a film, and that scene is this great kind of liberal anti-McCarthyist film. But Gary Cooper was a blue-blooded conservative, and he was very much surprised at how people took that film. Um, so, does that is is that the thing that's 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 the issue? Is it that is it if it comes through in the work, is that different as if you just find out something afterwards that's an issue? Yeah, I think that's more of the case because certainly now reading Lovecraft, like I really like H.P. Lovecraft's, you know, his vision. I really like his his kind of phantasmagorical uh, horror stories, and they are deeply unnerving. And but you know, reading them now, you you get to all of the racism, and there's a lot of it. And mm-hmm. uh, and like now, you can you can kind of put your distance between that and say, okay, you know, he grew up in the 1800s where racism was fairly rife he's you know and you know this may be kind of par for the course with you know his kind of his time uh you know and you can kind of separate it but you know he's so blatant about it that obviously it wasn't a big deal to him to express these views 
Whereas, you know, I think in the case of Roald Dahl, one of the things that you would be really kind of worried about is that sense that you've been lied to by someone who wrote these books because you think, oh my God, what if there are all these kind of coded messages about Jews hidden in the witches, which I don't think there are. Um, I'm pretty sure there isn't. Yeah, um, although I'm sure there's probably some really detailed analysis out there that proves that actually it is completely an anti-Jewish mm. tract, but I've, I've not read it. And I don't think that, you know, in his, his works, there are those sort of, uh, those sort of messages. Um, but I think that, you know, that would be the worry that you have through consuming their work unknowingly kind of endorsed or consumed and kind of, uh, kind of embedded their views inside your psyche. I think, that certainly would seem to be, I think, the case, you know, for someone who, like, you know, Roald Dahl, who didn't write books that expressed his views in a, any particular way or didn't seem to, that you'd worry that they were kind of trying to sneak in these messages. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and it's, I think it's, it is, uh, like I brought John Wayne up as the example, he would openly make films that kind of were borderline propaganda mm. um, uh, to kind of further his... Uh, political beliefs through Hollywood and would actively, you know, try and crack down on people who, who had the opposite beliefs. Um, and yeah, I kind of find as much as I really like John Wayne's films, some of his films, um, a lot, um, I do find them troubling. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I'm in complete agreement. Um, you know, I read a, an, an old interview that Roger Ebert did with John Wayne in which they kind of talk and uh, he's he obviously talks about his politics and how very right-wing he is, and he comes off across as someone who's very charming, even though he has these views that are, uh, kind of, you know, from my political perspective, you know, I don't, I don't agree with entirely, and I do find something like the Green Berets, which obviously is the is famous for being pretty much the only pro-Vietnam War film. Uh, mm. You know, I find something like that very, very troubling because a, it's uh, using a you know, the medium of film to kind of argue for a pointless and horrible conflict, uh, but also because, you know, it's something that shows a complete lack of awareness about that conflict. And you kind of wonder if even one person, like, went to see uh, the Green Berets and then immediately signed up and went to Vietnam and died, then that film is kind of a piece of trash that should be destroyed because it's it's actively causing harm in the world. And I think that Mm. while most of John Wayne's films are, you know, their, their classics, you know, The Searches is amazing. Stagecoach is probably purely for its influence on Citizen Kane, one of the most influential films ever made. And there are loads of his films that do stand the test of time. There are the ones where he most overtly uh, states his politics are ones that are kind of troubling in terms of what they say about America, uh, its role in the world and its history. Yeah, we've talked about how people's views uh, affect their film, whether you kind of find out about them. Uh, secondhand or whether they make their views fairly explicit um, but you mentioned at the start um, of Woody Allen and Roman Plansky now I'd be careful to uh, kind of separate the two here because Roman Plansky is someone who has been convicted of a crime and is at present living abroad to escape punishment for said crime uh, and Woody, Ar- uh, Woody Allen not Woody Harrelson Woody Allen, I'd like to make clear now, Woody Harrelson is innocent of everything until been proven guilty. Um, Woody Allen uh, has not been charged with anything. Um, it, at this point, it is not much more than speculation. It just c- seems to be constant. 
Yes, and I also think we should point out that Woody the Cowboy from Toy Story is also free of all wrongdoing, as far as we know. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Apart from being a bit fanatical when it comes to uh, Andy. Um, yeah, I think that uh, with, uh, with with Woody Allen, you know, there is a, the, I think that his situation in some ways is a lot worse for people who are admirers of his work than with Roman Polanski, because with the Roman Polanski thing, it's something that we know happened. We know that he, he raped a 13-year-old girl um, and, you know, he was tried for it. He fled justice uh, because he, he thought he was going to get a, a, a tougher sentence than he had been promised, uh, which is not a justification for running away from a horrible crime, no. uh, despite all the horrible things that had happened in his past, sort of in the leading up to it. You know, he did a horrible thing and he should have uh, he should have uh, received justice for it. And he didn't. And it's still waiting for him. Um Whereas with Woody Allen, you know, there's always that kind of mental defense of saying, well, it's all just hearsay. And, you know, even though the the evidence against him is very kind of uh, emotionally very compelling and the argument in his defense is kind of uh, at best kind of flimsy, I think kind of uh, is, uh, is only as strong as your own personal desire to continue liking his films. Mm. You know, the idea that, you know, Oh, maybe Mia Farrow was kind of uh, prompting uh, her daughter to kind of say these things, or you know, it was all part of some sort of weird game to manipulate him, or it's all implanted memories and all these sort of things. You know, they're all arguments that are kind of based in the psychology of a young girl, and it's kind of hard to kind of use them as uh, to kind of use that as any definitive argument that he didn't kind of molest her. But take it, whether or not he did or not, I think it. He is, you know, from what people have said, he seems to be a very disturbed and weird individual. Uh, mm. Perhaps not a paedophile because there's been no other reported cases, but certainly someone who had an unhealthy fascination with this uh, young girl. And the lack of kind of definitive proof on either side, I think, is the thing that's really difficult for people because, uh, you know, the, the the debate will always happen, you know, long after he's dead. People will argue about it because there's unlikely to ever be any definitive answer to it unless he leaves a deathbed confession or something. Yeah, and it's... Do do you think that Alan gets kind of lumped in here because he has a very kind of weird and complicated uh, relationship history? Uh, Is he married to his adopted daughter? Or are are they just together? They are married, yeah. Okay, I mean, I mean that by anyone's standard is is kind of uh, seem might seem a bit odd, a little mm. bit. Well, Sun- Sunny isn't his adopted daughter; she was adopted by Mia Farrow, and he never. Right. So, but like, at at best, it's really, really uh, skeezy of him to have done that. You know, that's yeah. the sort of thing where, if it was a guy in a trailer park, who you found out had started, had married the adopted daughter of his girlfriend, you would say. Yeah, that guy's a massive scumbag, uh, mm-hmm. but because it's Woody Allen, uh, I think it, he gets a lot more leeway than he perhaps uh, deserves. Mm. Um, and does it matter how good someone is? Like, obviously, Polanski um, is someone who has made several masterpieces, uh, but he's also done some quite bad shit. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, kind of correct me if I'm wrong. He is the the crime he got charged for was statutory rape of a thirteen year old. That is correct. Yes, that, that's what he was convicted um, of. 
I mean, that's pretty bad. That's horrible, um, yeah. As, as they go. Um, um, so, like, would, would, you know, would people be making this fuss? And this is going to sound uh, pretty callous of me if he was not a great filmmaker. Oh, that's an interesting question. I, um, I honestly don't think they would. Uh, I don't, or rather, I don't think people would be defending him as vociferously, like if he wasn't a great filmmaker. Because remember, a few years ago, there was a he was uh, arrested when he went to a film festival, and there was a big petition of people like, you know, Martin Scorsese and Guillermo del Toro, and all these people signed this petition saying that he deserved to be released. And you kind of think that if this was, you know, that guy who directed Jeepers Creepers who uh, molested a young boy. I don't think there would have been a very long uh, list, uh, uh, petition of kind of Hollywood's best and brightest kind of saying that he should be released. Mm. And that's a good point, actually. Victor Salva is the person you're talking yes. about, the guy who directed uh, Jeepers Creepers. Uh, he you know, molested a 12-year-old child uh, on the set of a film he made called Clown House, um, which is a terrifying film for my youth. Um uh, but he, you know, uh, was charged and convicted and imprisoned um, uh, for a couple of years, I think. Um, and, you know, we don't hear quite as much controversy about him um, as we do about Roman Plansky, because obviously Plansky's profile is higher and Salva is someone who makes Jeepers Creepers 1, 2 and 3. <laughs> but also, the you know, uh, Plansky's uh, condi- uh, situation is obviously complicated by the fact that he did escape justice you know i think i don't know if if he had served you know his sentence of you know however many years it was going to be um and then come out if uh, that he would be as much of a cultural flashpoint as he is i'm sure he still mm. he obviously still would be looked back on as someone who did a horrible thing um but i think that uh, had he actually gone to prison and gone out uh you know, think he would be viewed differently. Although, uh, arguably, his career would have been completely destroyed and would never have recovered, uh, mm. because obviously his career has largely been uh, kept afloat by the fact that he he works in Europe and uh, you know he get he he's able to work outside of the studio system. Um, is there a kind of a statute of limitations on such things? Because I think anyone who works with Polanski has to probably come to their own moral decision whether they're going to or not. Um, and I dare say that most people who choose to do so, uh, when confronted with the thing, how can you work with someone who is uh, on the lam, essentially, um, they're probably just going to say, well, it was a long time ago. And, you know, is that the justification? Because if it is, uh, what's the statute of limitations on, on things like that? Yeah, I guess it, it they it's people weighing up in their own mind the fact that he had to leave his own home and also, you know, factoring in his background, the fact that he was a Holocaust survivor, that his uh, young pregnant wife was brutally murdered uh, and that he, you know, I think that, that uh, both of those things completely fucked him up uh, and that that kind of was, that, that had those things not happened or at least had Sharon Tate not been murdered, that, you know, this situation wouldn't have happened and kind of saying that he was going through a dark period and that he's kind of a better person now, whatever. Um, which I, I think it's just about how many extenuating circumstances you can bring up to kind of say that what he did was terrible was not kind of the signs of him being a terrible person, which obviously, having not met him, uh, I obviously can't pass judgment on that, but I do think that you know what he did was absolutely awful and that he should have gone to prison for it. 
Um, how, how do you feel about it? Uh, I mean, you're a, a film critic, Ed. Uh, how do you feel about it when he has a new film out? Does it even enter your thoughts? Uh, not not when watching the films, no. Um, unless, uh, I mean, it may briefly enter my mind if there's kind of like young children on the, on the screen or, or young girls on the screen, because I just kind of think that, not necessarily thinking, oh, something must have happened on the set or something, but just kind of in my hand thinking, you know, what was it going through the minds of the parents who said that it was okay for their kids to to work with Roman Polanski? Uh, you know, just because I think it's the sort of thing that would go through any parent's mind if they knew that this guy had done this thing a long time ago. Um, you know, I do think that it's... It, uh, but then it usually it's usually very fleeting and it goes away and, uh, you know, he's never made a film... Uh, or at least I've not seen any of his films that have kind of centred on plot points that kind of really kind of force you to consider it. Yeah, and it's that thing I was saying earlier about whether it's like if he if he made exclusively films about kind of uh, Lolita esque uh, nymphettes, then um, there'd probably be something deeply troubling going on there. But there doesn't seem to be a preoccupation of his, even though uh, you, you kind of think deep down it probably is. Yeah, and I think that's also one of the, I think one of the the problems with the debate about Woody Allen about whether or not he did it is that people then look at his work and try and use that as some sort of way of kind of convicting him by looking at mm. Manhattan and saying, you know, oh, he had a, he was, you know, his fictional character was in a relationship with a younger woman, you know, you know, the, and trying to look for his work as if he was kind of planting a confession, which uh, I think is uh, counterproductive, both you know, from the point of view of justice and from the point of view of, uh, and from the point of view of, you know, just kind of cultural criticism. I don't think you can use someone's work to accuse them of, uh, of doing something except in the case of, uh, uh, there was a, there was a case in the nineties where I think there were, there were two producers who were found to have made a film based on the fact that they had killed someone. And like they had written their own story into it, and they were convicted of the murder that they essentially admitted to by making a film about it. Um, I can't remember the name of the film, but it's in uh, that that documentary. Los Angeles plays itself. There's a big section on it. Um, oh so, wow! Uh, it, other than those situations, um, I don't think that you know you can look at sort of Woody Allen's early work and then kind of like try and use that as you know like every offhand like joke as something to convict him. Uh, because I just don't think that that's how I don't think that's how art works. Um, kind of being topical for a moment uh, here in the UK, we have uh, had the um, the media shitstorm around the kind of U tree um, investigations, and you know it's where uh, uh, kind of British television and media figures and radio kind of figures have been uh, retrospectively convicted of sexual offences and. Uh, this week we had uh, Rob Harris, uh, uh, kind of Australian entertainer, uh, artist, TV presenter type thing, uh, staple of my youth and many people's youth, has been convicted of uh, sexual assault and some very unsavoury ones too. And in this country there's been a really kind of odd reaction in the sense that everyone's like, well, we're going to take his paintings down. Uh, we're going to kind of any, there's a big piece in Sheffield actually, uh, there's a, a, a big piece of uh, the Rolf kangaroo with Didgeridoo it's going to be painted over um, and there's all these other things and that kind of got me thinking that like uh, okay I mean I don't, I don't really have any particular strong thoughts on that either way but 
you know, like Carabaggio, he fucking murdered a dude. <laughs> and but you know, no one's taking his picture down uh, from from the National Gallery. And uh, you know, if you probably look back at all those, pretty much everywhere, anyone, uh, writers, uh, um, kind of painters and artists, going back, um, yeah, there's a lot of unsavoriness in there. But yeah, no, no one seems to be kind of doing anything like that like. Oh, I won't. I won't touch that. Yeah, I think I, I don't know. It's a weird one with that. I guess it's it's because he's still alive, and it, it, we're not so far removed from it. I guess with Caravaggio, obviously, you know, we're we're hundreds and hundreds of years removed from his life, so his his work can be viewed kind of separately from that. Whereas Rolf Harris's work uh, work is so tied into his public persona. That if the public persona becomes kind of you know forever kind of destroyed and tainted by the fact that he did horrible horrible things, um, you know I think people's reactions are going to be quite different and going to be very very visceral because also it's it's the uh, the fact that he was such a big part of so many people's like childhoods and he was on TV and stuff he was a big part of people's lives and he he essentially came into people's living rooms through the television same with Jimmy Savile you know people kind of developed a, a more personal relationship with with the man um than you know anyone did with Caravaggio where it's so I think that's why the reaction is so visceral in that way. Um and because you people kind of feel like they've been lied to for for decades and that it's kind of destroyed this you know kind of these kind of happy memories that they had associated with their, those programmes. Um, well, I for one was shocked that Caravaggio murdered some dude. Well, he's pretty shocking. Uh, yeah, and I, uh, I, I thought it was disgusting. I looked away from the painting when I found out that. Um, I was horrified. Um, no, I wasn't at all. And uh, it was probably de jour for people in Car- Caravaggio's time to at least kill one person. Um, it was a, a different different era, yeah. you know, when murder wasn't so bad. Yeah. You know, like we say at the start, you know, when racism and anti-Semitism was... You know, bar for the course. Back in Caravaggio's day, oh, fuck it. You know, I'll kill anyone. It's fine, don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, painters were basically double O agents. You had to have at least one or two under your belt. Absolutely. Or you know one. Um, this Gary Oldman interview seems to be causing quite a fuss. Um, kind of uh, a it for the, the audience at home, Ed. Uh, he was interviewed by uh, Playboy for uh, a piece that was designed to... Uh, publicised his role in the forthcoming uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Um, and uh, it went a little, little off the rails. Uh, it got into his politics. Uh, I didn't know that uh, Gary Oldman is, is, is quite right-wing. Uh, and uh, it got into some weird territory where he was asked about um, celebrities who, who have been kind of publicly shamed for sort of outbursts, particularly uh, Mel Gibson and, uh, and Alec Baldwin, famously, Mel Gibson made anti-Semitic uh, comments when he was arrested and uh, Alec Baldwin made uh, homophobic uh, comments towards uh, a member of the paparazzi. And Gary Oldman sort of, uh, kind of talked about the fact that, you know, it's kind of said that political correctness gone mad. Uh, and But then kind of went a step further to that and then started talking about how Jews run Hollywood. Uh, and it all kind of uh, snowballed from there. Uh, it seems like a... Yeah, it's, it's, it seems uh, really weird, that interview, because it, it seems to start from a fairly kind of mild place and then mm. just completely snowballs into uh, sort of 
on one hand, a kind of a, a slightly reasonable argument saying, you know, that the way that that people react to kind of human failings, like someone saying a word that they may not perhaps mean in the heat of the moment, to saying, oh, you should be able to call people faggots whenever, you know, it's kind of like, mm, no, that's not what the issue is. <laughs> the mm. the issue is the fact that it's a really hateful word that was used in a very hateful context. Uh you know, I, I think it's it, it seems to be a case of uh, of an old old man not quite understanding the culture in which he now presides. Yeah, I I found it quite strange because uh, I thought I had read the Gary Oldman interview, um, but I hadn't. I actually read an abridged version, and I went back and read the the full thing earlier this evening, and I think that because I'd done that, reading the full interview seemed less bad than the Paul quotes had made it out to be. Because mm. uh, you're right, it starts off as a frankly disinterested Gary Oldman talking about his latest film uh, and not really biting at anything. And then, yeah, suddenly does uh, snowball. But I think that it's it's not quite the, the salacious uh, interview that people think it is. Um, I think it's very frank. And, yeah, there are some kind of questionable things in there. Um, um, but I think ultimately, um, uh, kind of, I think we're all just surprised because it's Gary Oldman. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think we all, we all expect Gary Oldman to be a, like a certain way and, uh, well, okay. He described himself as a libertarian in the, uh, uh, in the interview, which puts him up there with like Kurt Russell. Um, and you know, I, I just can't, I can't, you can't see that. You think Gary Oldman is being quite kind of, you know. Well, Gary Oldman, and it's not what you expect. So I think people are reacting to it a bit more because of that. Uh, yeah, I think there's a certain there's a certain surprise quality to it. Uh, I definitely think that plays into it. The idea that wait, Gary Oldman, you know, is is really right wing and seemingly based on those, you know, the quotes seemingly quite paranoid um, mm-hmm. uh, about the industry in which he chooses to work. It does come off as something that's really just kind of out of the blue, uh, and then you know. But also, I think a large part of it is in it is that kind of that kind of false dichotomy of talking about uh, it being political correctness, um, which obviously you know always brings up to my mind Stuart Lee's great routine saying that political correctness is a a a sometimes awkward. Uh, attempt to kind of create a shared language that doesn't offend people too much um, mm. and I think that you know it seems to be that that's a, a phrase that's become quite loaded over the years as something that really right-wing people say to justify people you know using offensive language and I think that Oldman was trying to make a point about the way the media kind of take these things takes these things and really blows them up uh, and but saying it in a way that kind of seemed to be saying, you know, people should be able to use whatever language they want all the time. As as illustrated by the fact that he didn't seem to, uh, he didn't seem to acknowledge that there was a difference between Alec Baldwin screaming faggot at someone in the street and Bill Maher using the word lesbian in an interview. Uh, when those those two things are, are, are words with very different kind of uh meanings and very different they're, they're loaded in very different ways mm. i mean the interview does say he doesn't get culture at the he basically just saying that you know the world's going to hell in a handcart mm. 
um, and then proceeds to talk about how he doesn't get the world. It, it, to me, it seemed it seemed less revelatory this this interview than it did. Like he said exactly what he was going to say, and then he just said it. Mm. Uh, and you could tell the Playboy. I don't know which fucking Playboy hack wrote this, but he really knew what he was doing. <laughs> and to tease all this out of Oldman. Yeah, I think uh, it definitely felt like he was he was being uh, unguarded in a way that most celebrities aren't. Mm. Uh, and and um, you kind of wonder how much was kind of how much was stuff he offered of his own, and how much the other guy was kind of goading him on to say these things. Um, do you think that that will have any effect whatsoever on Gary Oldman's career? Uh, I, I get the impression that it kind of won't because he's at a certain place where he kind of it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I don't think it will affect him too badly uh, because, well, one because he seemed to think that the the the, the Jews who run Hollywood were already against him, uh, mm-hmm. so I think he, he probably doesn't feel that it's hurt him too much. But also because you know he's a he's a character actor. He's not like. He's not like a Mel Gibson style kind of superstar who kind of had a very public fall from grace. And, you know, obviously the, the interview ignores the fact that uh, Gary Oldman, uh, not Gary Oldman, uh, Mel Gibson's anti-Semitic rant wasn't what ended his career. It was his uh, infamous uh, aunt's phone messages left for his, his uh, girlfriend uh, that kind of turned everyone against him. Um, I think that with Gary Oldman, it's the sort of thing that will maybe not be forgotten because I think it's the sort of thing once it's out there it's something that you kind of incorporate into your vision of a person but because he's mm. someone who is a who is known for kind of disappearing into all of his roles uh, it probably won't affect his work that much and he's obviously you know he's got uh, relationships with people that he enjoys working with you know sort of big name directors who probably you know I can't imagine that uh, Christopher Nolan would have passed a chance to work with him again uh, because they worked yeah. together in kind of three films, and assumingly they talked about politics, and you know he knows a bit about him just from working together so closely. So I can't imagine that it will uh, it will hurt him too much in the long run. Yeah, yeah, true, true. Um, I mean, personally, I think the the Gary Oldman business is a bit of a storm in a teacup. There's nothing in there that's. I mean, other than the fact that Gary Oldman is slightly more right wing than we thought he was, there's nothing revelatory in there. Uh, he's basically just saying, "Oh yeah, Mel- we know Mel Gibson said some shit." And he's basically saying, "You know, give the guy a break." And ultimately, I, I don't really care that much. No, I think it's it's something that has definitely kind of disappeared. It was something that was huge on Twitter and Facebook for, I'd say, probably about five days, uh, and then either because everyone read the interview and, you know, kind of contextualised some of the worst things and kind of realised that, uh, you know, what he was trying to say was perhaps uh, less inflammatory than the way he said it, or just because people moved on to something else. Uh, You know, it's kind of something that seems to have died away a little bit and and probably won't kind of... It's unlikely to come up unless he plays someone in a film who has kind of like extreme views in the uh, in the near future, in which case it will kind of come up in a contextual manner. But you know, it does seem to have kind of completely fallen away from the conversation. Mm, yeah, true, true. So um, yeah, serious podcast, Ed. Uh, fancy that? Yeah, it was interesting. I think uh, we'll have to do something incredibly silly next. Yeah, quite possibly. 
Um, so yeah, um, uh, watch what you say, audience, because uh, me and Ed will judge you and not like your work <laughs> uh, if we happen to disagree. Um, but yeah, anyway, uh, we'll see you next time. And until then, it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Goodbye from me.